John chapter 12, verses 1 through 7 is where we're going to land tonight. And uh, here we go. It says this, if you have your Bibles, if not, it will be up on the screen behind me. And it says this, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Now, you've got to understand some backstory here. We're being entered into a storyline that's bigger than just what we're reading, and that is Lazarus was once dead. Um, earlier in the Gospels, Jesus shows up on scene after Lazarus has been dead for three days and comes to the house of, of Martha and, and Mary. And it seems that they've kind of come back to the same place. Martha was serving. Lazarus was dead. Jesus raised him from the dead. And so now we're at this dinner party with Jesus and his disciples, a once dead man, and Martha who's kind of gone back to her old place. Needless to say, this is a weird dinner party, okay? As it would be with a once dead man sitting at your table, okay? Then Mary, and it gets even weirder now. Then Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair so that the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. How many of you know at that moment, that's when you get up and you leave the dinner party? <laughs> right? Like, let's just be honest, because we can read scripture sometimes, and I feel like we kind of, we put this like, we look at it very bland, like, oh yeah, that's kind of normal. No, that's not normal. <laughs> that is not normal. If you came to my house... And started wiping my feet with your hair and perfume. It just got weird. Very, very weird. And that's what's happening right here. So then one of his disciples, Judas, because we got to add him to the plot line now, who was about to betray him, said, why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he didn't say this. Now, I love John. Okay? If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these is what we know as the Gospels, every one of them has kind of a different perspective on everything that's happening in, in the years of Jesus' ministry. The rest of the guys, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they have, they have a tendency to be more linear in thought, ABC, um, and, and, and very straight-lined on things. They give you great detail, especially Luke. John, however, he was the emo in the bunch. Okay? He was the guy who was very emotional, so he paints his, his writing in a very emotional way, and he puts kind of his thoughts on here, which we're going to get right here. So this is what happens. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now this is John writing. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag who would steal part of what was put in it. So now we know what John thought about Judas. Interesting fact. They were on a team together. There's some division, okay? <laughs> Jesus answered, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. So tonight, I want to speak to you from the subject, pour it out. Pour it out. As we get ready to participate in this year's motion offering, and as we learn what it means to live a life of sacrifice. Would you pray with me just one more time? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active, that it's powerful, <clears throat> that it shapes us, it changes us, it redefines us. So God, I pray that your word would do that to us tonight. We want to be different. We didn't come in here tonight for just another church service. We didn't come in here tonight because it's our dutiful thing to do. We came in here tonight to encounter you. So may we do that in and through your word. May your presence saturate this place right now. And it's in that place, it's in the place of your presence that we find freedom. Would you set us free tonight? In Jesus' name. We love you and we worship you. Come on, and everybody shouted. Amen. Amen. Sacrifice isn't something that we talk a lot about in general. 
I would say as, as Westerners, and, and especially Americans, sacrifice is something that's not a part of our, our, our natural disposition, if, if we're honest and fair. Like, I think if we can make an assessment tonight, we all, as, especially as a culture, we have a tendency to, to live maybe more selfishly in, in nature. Can, can we all agree kind of there? And, and again, I, I don't, I don't want uh, to be selfish in nature. Yes, it can lead us to bad places. And I think there's moments where, where we have to be selfish, so to speak. I'm focusing on what I need to focus on in me. But, but by and large, we have a tendency to allow ourselves to walk down the path of selfishness to a place that gets really negative in nature. So then when it comes to this idea of sacrificial living, we, we kind of we wage war against it. It's hard for us to assimilate into our lives because our natural disposition fights against it. Jesus wants to teach us what it means to live a life of sacrifice, to be sacrificial people. And that's what I want to deal with tonight because right here in, in John chapter 12, we see probably one of the most beautiful moments of sacrifice in all of Scripture, second to the sacrifice of Jesus. And I'll go on record in saying that because as we walk through this and you understand the gravity of what ju just took place at this dinner party, you'll understand why I believe we are seeing probably one of the greatest moments of sacrifice that we see in all of Scripture. And so what I want to do is I, wanna, I just want to go through John chapter 12 and we're going to extract some truths about sacrifice that I, that I believe all of us need to understand and know if we're going to live lives in the opposite direction of selfishness, live lives of sacrifice. So I need your help tonight. Come on, everybody. Shout number one. Number one, the first thing is this. The first truth that we need to understand is that the cost of sacrifice is always significant. The cost of sacrifice is always significant. Then Mary, John chapter 12, verse 3, took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped his feet with her hair. Now this perfume or expensive oil was said to be a pound which would be equivalent to round about 12 to 15 fluid ounces today. And this was more oil in nature. It wasn't water. So it was thick. It was denser, right? It had a strong, strong smell to it. The cost of this oil, or nard, as Judas would reference, had a rough cost of about 300 denarii or so. This would be equivalent to a year's wages for someone in that time and culture. Translated over to, to money today, it would be tens of thousands of dollars that this lady literally just went on Jesus' feet with. So the Bible is communicating to us that this was a very extravagant gift. Now I think many times we can be left wanting when, we, when it comes to the moments that we read about in the Bible because we have a tendency to see things bland and, and, and kind of sterile. But if you and I were in this room at this moment, at this dinner party, we would have been shocked I mean, full-out disbelief would have set in. We would have been in awe. Like, I cannot believe that this just happened. We may have even tried to stop her because we understood what she was doing. Like, the ushers may have tried to tackle her. Don't do it, Mary! Which would have made the dinner party even weirder, right? Because what she was doing, what she just engaged in was extremely costly. Yet she would break open this jar and pour it on the feet of Jesus. I mean, she went all out with no regard for the financial maneuver she was engaging in. She was all in. It did not matter. It had, well, there was no hesitation. She went for it. She went for it. Now, many, if not most, scholars and theologians agree on this point right here, that more than likely, 
Because it'd be really easy to look at it and go, well, that's, that's fine. I mean, Mary, she must have had, you know, 10 or 12 more bottles out back. But no. Most theolog- theologians and scholars would agree on this point right, right here, that more than likely it was her dowry. In other words, this perfume was what she was going to give to the man that was going to marry her. That was the system of the day. And so now what she did in this moment, not only did she empty herself of all financial reality, but she gave away her ability to have a husband. She gave away her social status now. Because at that time and in that culture, for a woman, her husband was everything. It was the pinnacle of society at that time. Maybe not now because we're like independent women, right? But... But during this time, for Mary, this was a really big deal. This was huge. And so she gave away all of her finances. She gave away her social status. But then she took it even further. And in a moment of undignified worship, she lowered herself to the feet of a man. And she touched his feet, which were their feet. (laughs) Pastor Justin loves feet. He would not have done this. <laughs> no. <laughs> feet were dirty. But not only that, not only was it undignified because of how she postured herself at his feet, but the way she postured herself by bowing to somebody like that spoke two things. One, what she thought about the person she bowed to and how great that person was, and it spoke to how little she saw about herself in the eyes of culture. What she was saying is that this person is greater than me, greater than my circumstance, greater than anything that I have, and I will lower myself to a position that means nothing in order to be at the feet of the one who means everything. See, so many times we look at it because we don't understand cultural nuances, because for this, none of this makes sense, right? Because this is not our culture. But now we start to understand something. So when we read this, we start to go, oh my God, I cannot believe that she did that. The writer and author of the New American Commentary puts it this way. This move is not to be understood as merely some nice act of honoring the Lord, but a tremendous demonstration of commitment to him. I wonder if we have the ability to live that way anymore. To see and recognize someone in something far greater than ourselves. Jesus. To do so is to live a life of sacrifice. I think that... We're all content reading the stories of great sacrifice. However, the question is whether or not we can commit to the life of sacrifice. It costs her everything. I wonder if we have the ability to serve and to give and to love and to worship in an undignified and humble way. I wonder if we secretly judge others as they worship God with with passion or as they give of themselves or as they sacrifice their resource. I wonder if we are uncomfortable with the posture of sacrifice because we're used to a posture of pride. Because here's the deal. Sacrifice costs us dearly. It costs us dearly we got to understand that the cost of sacrifice is always significant. That's the first thing that Mary shows us. Number two, come on, Rashad, number two. Sacrifice will always change the atmosphere. We're talking about atmospheres tonight, right? How many of you know that Jesus changes every atmosphere? Right? Come on. But sacrifice will always change the atmosphere. Watch John chapter 12, verse 3. So the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. See, sacrifice is so much more than an action. 
It's an attitude, it's a disposition that changes the atmosphere of the world around us. It marks our lives and sets an atmosphere wherever we find ourselves. See, I've been in churches with a selfish, internal, myopic attitude, and it creates an atmosphere, doesn't it? One that's rigid and cold and withdrawn and uninviting, but I've also been in churches that are sacrificial in nature, and it's a place that is warm and inviting, loving, and focused outwardly. Sacrificial living says it's not about me, it's about something and someone greater than me. And it leaks into every area of our lives. It leaks into our marriages, our relationships, our jobs, our finances, you name it. When we live sacrificially, it changes the atmosphere of every aspect of our lives. The Bible talks about in Ephesians, husbands, love your wife. How? That's what it says. As Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? Sacrificially. He died for it. That's a big deal. To be be people who live sacrificially means that we have the ability to actually change the atmosphere around. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 to 2 says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, in other words, in view of what God has done for us, in view of of the scope and the reality of his love and his grace, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. To be a living sacrifice. That's that's a pretty great prayer right there. right? To wake up every day and be like, God, today I want to be a a living sacrifice. As you become a parent, you start to understand this reality. Now, I don't pray for my child to have the opportunity to be hit by a truck at any given moment. I don't pray that prayer. That's a weird prayer, okay? Just so you know, shake your head, laugh. It's okay. (laughs) Where's he going with this? But how many of you know that as a dad, if there is a vehicle barreling towards my child, I will without restraint and thought, lovingly and as quickly as possible, jump in front of that car as a living sacrifice for my child. It's innate within me. I do, however, pray for moments that somebody comes at my wife just so I can have that one moment to be the man of the house. You know what I'm saying? Come on, every guy's had that dream. I, I, I get it, right? Just like, just one time, I just want to stand and just come at me, son. Just make it legal one time, one time. But there's something innate inside of us, especially when it comes to the ones that we love. We want to be protected. We want to be a living sacrifice. And it changes the atmospheres around us. My kids, they... Um, are becoming capitalistic in nature. Um, they've started a, uh, a stand. It's not a lemonade stand. It's a Chobani yogurt, Pepsi, and Sprite stand. <laughs> the past two days that they've had this stand out there, they've made it an accumulative $12. I know. It's pretty odd. They're pumped about it. And they're, they're hustlers, too. Like, not, they don't just stand there and wait for you to come to them. They're, like, knocking on doors. Hey, do you want a Chobani yogurt and some Pepsi? It's a well-rounded diet. <laughs> they're just doing their thing. And they're shrewd, too. I was watching the other day, and somebody came out, and I was like, man, how's this going to go? They're pouring the soda in, in Dixie cups. <laughs> the small ones, like, you know, like water cooler cups type of deal. And then I was like, I wonder how much they're charging. The guy's like, how much? They're like a buck. <laughs> it's like, Dang. <laughs> This kid's going to help me retire. (laughs) 
So they're out there hustling, they're doing their thing, and then all of a sudden I saw, so my, my living room, t- or my dining room table sits in a way where I can look out the front window when they're playing outside. So I'm sitting at the end of the table and I'm watching everything, and I saw this car come barreling down, like barreling down the, the, the road towards my house. And you know, like, you know when you have that kind of sixth sense that kid, like, kicks in, and you know, like, this person's coming, they're not going to turn, they're, they're coming towards towards the house, and I was like, oh, great, they got mad, they realized how much they spent on the Pepsi, and they're going to come after my son, and, and so this car's barreling down, and sure enough, he didn't stop, he was coming right up to the edge of our yard, and it was in that moment, like, dad instinct kicked in, right, I saw this car, and it was like, it was like, it was a white 1967, 1969 Camaro, so it was a nice car, but then I started looking, like, on the inside, and look, as a dad, I quickly judge people. Like, that's just the way it's going to be, right? And so they're coming at my kids, and I was like, sketch. It's just sketch. So I went from my seat to the front lawn in about a half a second. I was standing outside. And you know, like, when I got outside, it wasn't just standing outside. It was standing outside. <laughs> like, I quickly puffed my chest out. Like, I was just out there. And the guy's probably thinking, like, what's up with that dude? Does his back hurt? Like, what's going on with him? But I was out, I was full peacock. I'm just ready to just like, right? Why? Because I felt like my kids were in danger. Because there's this instinct that kicks in to be what? A living sacrifice. To be a living sacrifice. And this is what the Bible describes as worship. Pure and undefiled worship. It's not manufactured worship, contrived worship, or forced worship. It's pure and undefiled worship. And it changes the atmosphere of a house. My kids walk into my house, and they believe that they're safe. There's an atmosphere there. They don't, they don't feel unsafe because they know mom and dad are living sacrifices. It changes the atmosphere of our church. It changes the atmosphere of our workplaces. It changes the atmosphere of our schools. It changes the atmosphere of our cities. Come on, when a church is ready to be a living sacrifice, it changes the atmosphere of the city that it finds itself in. It changes the atmosphere of the state, and ultimately it changes the atmosphere of the world. We've been called to be living sacrifices, and we've got to understand that it's this type of sacrifice that changes atmosphere. I guess the real question is this. If, every, if, if everything has an atmosphere, our life, our homes, our churches... Our cities, our states, and we've been called to change atmospheres. The question is this, are we a thermometer or are we a thermostat? Does my life just simply reflect the current temperature of where I find myself? Or is my life the type of life that when I walk in, I don't reflect the temperature, I change the temperature. I don't say, like, I'm going to be okay, I'm going to kind of segue my life into this, but I've come to be different because I'm a living sacrifice for God. And as a living sacrifice, I'm going to change the atmosphere around. We haven't been called to be relevant. Have you noticed that the church is trying to get relevant? We haven't been called to be relevant. We've called to seek, we're called to seek revival. And the world's not looking for a relevant church. (laughs) It's not looking for a relevant church. It's looking for a church that's sacrificial in nature. It says, I want to get involved with making a difference. As a thermometer, we set the temperature. We set the climate. And I found that sacrificial living will set the atmosphere in ways we never thought possible. Number three, ever shout number three? three? Third one is this. The sacrifice of the obedient will always invite the opinion of the critic. You ever notice that? That the sacrifice of the obedient will always invite the opinion of the critic. John chapter 12, verses 4 to 6. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, 
who was about to betray him, said, why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in. See, when we set out to live sacrificial lives, there will always be critics that come out and play. There will always be someone to judge you for what you are doing. There will always be someone to question your reasoning or pray for wisdom. You ever noticed that before? I love how we use faith to try to minimize other, other areas of faith in our lives. It's amazing the amount of people that when we were getting ready to plant in Utah, they asked this question, they'd be like, Utah? You're gonna go plant in Utah? Yeah, we're gonna go plant in Utah. And then they would say this, we're gonna pray for wisdom for you. <laughs> what? And after like the third time of hearing that, I was like, I don't want your prayers. I've got people praying for wisdom who actually want to see me sacrifice. They're praying for wisdom that I may continue to walk in the sacrifice of the journey that was ahead of us. The critics will come out when you decide to live a life of sacrifice. See, Judas wasn't concerned. He was a critic. His opinion was based on his objection to the sacrifice. There will always be someone who will object. There will always be someone who will object to your faith, your desire, your love for Jesus, the amount of times you go to church, they will always object at the amount that you read your Bible and pray and are caught up in other things. They'll always object. There'll always be somebody at work that will object. There will always be somebody at school who will object. And the crazy thing is, is that there may be some people really close to you who will always object. You ever notice that our greatest criticism usually comes from those closest to us? And Jesus experienced that. As well, I love this portion of scripture right here. How many of you would agree with me that Jesus was savage? Yeah. Like he'd go at somebody. He'd take a kidney shot, right? Watch this. Watch this. Watch what happens, this, this interaction between, between Peter and Jesus. Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23. From then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes be killed, and be raised on the third day. In other words, Jesus was telling his disciples, he was telling everybody around him, hey guys, listen up. At a certain point, I'm gonna die. Like, it's it. They're, they're, they're gonna take me, they're gonna kill me, and that is the point of my life. That's what he was telling his disciples. And watch what, watch what happens. Peter, ADHD Peter, foot in mouth Peter, took him aside I want you to get this story, like, just please, like, close your eyes if you need to imagine this. Peter took the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, God incarnate, God in flesh, took him aside. Not only did he take him aside, watch what he says, and rebuked him. Peter's nuts. Sorry, this is how I read scripture when I, when, I, when I read this. So Peter, this is Peter. Hey, Jesus, we need to talk. You've been saying some stuff, and it's a little off. And I get it, because, like, imagine what his disciples must have felt. Because Jesus, let's be honest, show of hands, how many of you agree with me? Jesus said some weird things. <laughs> this is therapy for some of us. Finally, somebody said it. <laughs> Jesus said some weird stuff. I mean, imagine his disciples walking with him and always being on edge from what Jesus was about to say. I mean, I can imagine them walking into a town and they're like, just like, heal people, raise them from the dead, give them eyes back, grow their ears back. I don't care. Just don't answer questions, Jesus. 
please don't answer questions. And all of a sudden, some Pharisee comes wandering up, and Matthew's going, great, here we go, here we go, here we go. And the question's asked, and they're like, Jesus, just stop, stop, guys. He's going to answer, guys. He's going to answer. And then he says something crazy like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And all of his disciples are great, great. What are we doing? Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus, nobody gets that. <laughs> so, Peter, so Peter took him aside to rebuke him. And he says to him, oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. There's all exclamation points in this portion of scripture. So Peter's yelling at him, but I've yelled enough for the moment. He says, oh no, Lord, this will never happen to you. So Jesus turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. That's the ultimate discipleship diss. Like back in my day, we'd be like, oh, that's cold. That's what we'd say. Jesus just dissed him. Get behind me, Satan. Could you imagine being in a staff meeting here at church? And that just rolls out. Justin's like, I've got an idea. Get behind me, Satan. Like, that's a bad moment. <laughs> Staff meeting over. Watch what he goes on to say. He says, you're a hindrance to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. You're not thinking about God's concerns. You're thinking about human Concerns the sacrifice of the obedient will always invite the opinion of the critic. But here's the other thing I've come to learn about critics. Not only will there be external criticism, but there'll be internal criticism as well. See, we have a tendency, don't we, to become our greatest critic? Did I sacrifice enough? Did I sacrifice too, too much? And we end up criticizing ourselves out of action. See, we'd be insane to think that Mary didn't have some sort of internal dialogue happening in her. Like I said, I, many times we read scripture and we think these people float everywhere. They were humans like you and I. Come on, show of hands. Like another therapy moment. How many of you have doubted God at one moment or, or, or in your life? I have. Like last week. We doubt. We're humans. We're people. So we would be nuts to think that Mary wasn't having some sort of internal dialogue happening as she's pouring out this oil, her dowry, her social standing, her personal well-being and identity. We would be nuts to think that she wasn't internally going, what am I doing right now? Is this, is this too much? Is this too little? Is my life over? Is it all done? What's going to happen? Because she was. Because she knew what she was doing. So many times our greatest critics aren't just from the outside, but actually from the inside of who we are. She went against all cultural protocol and conventional wisdom. And when we live lives of sacrifice, we have the tendency to do the same, and it scares the crazy out of us. Where there's sacrifice, there's criticism. Last one is this, number four, Bashan, number four. <laughs> sacrifice prepares the way for victory. Sacrifice prepares the way 
for victory. John chapter 12, verse 7 says, Jesus answered, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. In other words, Jesus was saying this. Mary just anointed me for my journey of sacrifice. I want you to see something. Mary's sacrifice set Jesus up for Jesus' sacrifice. A sacrifice at the end of the day that would give victory for all of humanity. It's in the name of Jesus we have victory. It's in the name of Jesus that we have hope. It's in the name of Jesus that we have peace. It's in the name of Jesus that we have joy. It's in the name of Jesus that we have help. It's in the name of Jesus that we have a refuge. It's in the name of Jesus that we have strength. It's in the name of Jesus that we have a rock. It's in the name of Jesus that we have healing. It's in the name of Jesus that we have wholeness. It's in the name of Jesus that we have everything that we could possibly need. It's in his name and it's the most powerful name that there is. And it was in his name placed upon on a cross, buried, and then risen three days later. It was victory in that that first happened as Mary sacrificed. And Jesus would ultimately show us the greatest sacrifice ever given. And that's why Jesus says, she's kept it for the day of my burial. The disciples had no idea what she was talking about or what he was talking about because they didn't get it. They would eventually get it. See, the sacrifice of Mary was preparing Jesus for the journey before him. This journey of sacrifice that would ultimately lead to a victory for us all. Which then brings us up to the moment we celebrate today, Palm Sunday. Where Jesus would come riding in on a colt, a donkey. People would take palm leaves and they would place them down before him. And they would shout, Hosanna! Hosanna! Because they needed victory. They needed somebody who was going to ride in and save them from the persecution and save them from the tyrannical government and save them from all their sorrows and all their pain. And they thought that Jesus would simply do that by overthrowing an earthly throne. But he wouldn't. He would give himself sacrificially once again upon a cross. His salvation didn't come by overthrowing a government. His salvation came by establishing a heavenly kingdom on earth. And that is why we now have access to God. That we simply just call upon his name. He exemplified what it meant to live a life of sacrifice. This week ahead of us, so much more than a motion offering. And I do this message today because it's not about finances and just finances. It's about everything in our lives. To have the mindset, to have the heart set, to say I want my life to, to be a sacrificial one. I want to be a living sacrifice. I don't know about you, but I want to be one. I want to be the type of person where my life makes a difference in the world around me. Today, for those of us who are prepared to do so right now, we have the ability to engage in one act of that. And that's as we've been preparing for our motion offering. 
If you don't know what our motion offering is, we've got print pieces and podcasts and everything like that that's been talking about this for the past month and a half. But what I'm going to invite us to do in this moment is we're going to stand to our feet. We're going to take a moment to pray over our gifts tonight. And then we're going to worship for another minute. We're going to trust God with our sacrifice tonight. For some of us right now, I, I, I know the dialogue. I know the internal dialogue. Is it too small? Is it too big? Is it too this? Listen, in the hands of Jesus, nothing is too big or too small. The question is, where's your heart with things right now? What's, what's the position? What's the posture of your heart? That's why we're doing what we're doing. So that we can do everything that God's called us to do. So I'm going to ask everybody just to bow your head and close your eyes in this moment. For those of you who are giving to the motion offering tonight, I want you to grasp that gift in your hand. If you're doing this as a couple tonight, if you have that, or if you're doing it on push pay, just hold your phone. <laughs> but let's pray as we trust God with this moment tonight. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to invite our ushers forward at this time. I thank you, ultimately, for your greatest gift of sacrifice. God, I pray tonight that the sacrifices that we make financially would pave the way to be able to do everything that you've called us to do as a church. God, that it would help us establish Redemption House. That it would help us plant this new community. That it would help us build homes in Mexico. That would help us strengthen what's happening here in Sandy as we seek to reach our communities. God, we worship you and we thank you. God, I thank you for the the sacrifice of this church across all of our services this weekend. I pray right now that as we give that you would bless exceedingly and abundantly above what we could ever ask, hope, or imagine. And as we worship you, God, I pray that we would experience your presence and your peace in this moment of sacrifice. For many of us in here, this is a big moment. It's a big moment of sacrifice. And so God, right now, I just pray that you would bless above and beyond. I thank you for what it is that you're doing this weekend. 